1 Thessalonians 4. So um, this kind of comes out of two things. First off, we had a Q&A. We, if you guys don't know, at the end of every month, we do a Q&A where people can write in questions from the Bible. If you ask us about politics, we can't help you. But um, if you have any questions from the Bible, we'll do our best to try to answer those. And so we get together and, um, and, and talk about that. And uh, Marcus Handy had a question that he was answering. And he was using this passage, and it's the end of this passage. I'm going to teach through a chunk of it that really stuck out to me personally. And I thought, as, um, as I was getting ready for this, that that might be the word of the Lord for our church as well. So First um, Thessalonians is a book that Paul wrote to a church in Thessalonica, or Thessaloniki, if you're looking at a map, it's in modern-day Turkey. And the, um, if you remember from our Acts study, <clears throat> which took a while, so you may not remember, but the Acts study, Paul, in his missionary journey, winds up in this little town, and he's only there for, does anybody know how long he's in Thessalonica? Where's Faith Handy? She'll know. Faith, how, how, do you know? I'm just teasing. Anybody know? Three Sabbaths. He's there for maybe a month, maybe a month. He's there for three Sabbaths. And while he's there, he plants a church in only a month. So one of the things that's really interesting, I think, is when you're reading through the letters to the Thessalonians, Paul will reference, he says, hey, I talked to you about this before. So it's interesting to see what Paul saw as like really important information to communicate to new believers. And there's some stuff in there you wouldn't think, or I wouldn't think, you know, if I was sitting down with a guy who was a new Christian, it's like, okay, we got three weeks, what are we gonna talk about? Well, one of the things Paul talks about repeatedly is the return of Jesus Christ, the return of Christ. In fact, a unique feature of the book of 1 Thessalonians is all five chapters. Obviously, Paul didn't write it with chapters, but at the end of each of those sections, he, he returns to this theme of the return of Christ, some problem that they're dealing with, and he'll say, hey, and the return of Christ, and he'll come back to that theme over and over. So I think it's, the reason I bring that up is to say, if it was so important that Paul, in the limited time he had planning a new church, spends all this time talking about the return of Christ, then it's probably really important for us too, right? Yeah. And let me say this from the outset too, that the, the doctrine about how the return of Christ will come about is a debated doctrine, okay? So I'm just saying that because I'm gonna teach it from a certain perspective. You may have a different one. And as long as your perspective is actually based in the Bible, we're friends. It's fine. I won't fight you. You don't have to fight me. But what isn't debatable is the Bible declares absolutely that Jesus is coming back. And it's not a metaphorical term. It's not a little thing that we say to make each other, you know, oh, hey, you know, here's a, here's a little saying or something. It's a, it's a coming fact. The most important fact, actually, in remaining history. Amen? That God is coming back. That's really the message today. So... So as we get into it, here we go. We're gonna look at 1 Thessalonians 4, and I'm gonna start in verse uh, 13, and then we'll, we'll focus in on the last part of it, and then I'll jump all over the place, as is my want. I'm reading from the NLT. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. Now, your version might say, we don't want you to be ignorant. Do you see, and you have that phrasing in your, probably King James for sure, maybe your, your ESV will have that. What does the ESV say there in 13? Uninformed, yeah. This is a phrase that Paul uses at different points in his letters, and there's at least three or four main things that Paul brings up when he uses this phrase. He says, when he says the double negative, right? You've been taught in English not to use this. I don't want you, negative, to be uninformed, negative, which means I want you to know about this, right? Three big things. One is the return of Christ. 
Another one in First Corinthians, he says, I, I want you to know about spiritual gifts. And in the letter to the Romans, which we'll get to eventually, he says, I want you to know about God's plan for Israel. And it's interesting that of, of those three things, those are three areas that often Christians today are ignorant about. Like, what is God's plan for Israel? Are we, just, are we just the church? Have we become Israel? Are they done? What's the deal with that? What are spiritual gifts? They sound kind of freaky, weird. This whole thing about Jesus coming back sounds also kind of sci-fi. What's that about? So these are three areas where Paul, God, speaking through the apostle, says, hey, I want you to know about these things. So this is one of those areas. He says, I want you to know. What will happen to believers who have died? So evidently, the Thessalonians had questions about what about Christians who have died? And that's what Paul is answering. And he's writing this letter back to that church to answer their questions and says, I want you to know this. This is important. And he says, I want you to know what will happen, second half of 13, so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope or you won't grieve like those who have no hope. Now, just real quickly, notice it doesn't say, I don't want you to grieve. That's not what he says, correct? I point this out because every so often you run into a Christian or maybe you felt this way when something awful happens in life. Do awful things happen in life to Christians? Yeah, I hope that you know that. If you're new and you're thinking you just got on the Christian train and your life's gonna be you know, rainbows and unicorns from here on, it will not be. Do not bank on that. That's a terrible, that's, that's just not true. So anyway, there's trouble, right? So when something terrible happens, sometimes people think, well, I probably can't be sad because I'm a Christian and God's good, right? So hallelujah, I've got cancer. No, bad things happen and grief is appropriate. I just was looking at this with someone recently where you see Jesus going to Lazarus' tomb, a man he's about to raise from the dead and he's weeping with the people that are at the tomb. Grief is a normal part of being human. It's, it's a it's a normal emotion, we should do that. But he says, I want you to grieve differently than other people. Why is that? He says, that because he doesn't want us to grieve like people who have no hope, that's the difference. So if you're a person who, um, <laughs> no, <laughs> check yourself. I was watching a clip, a clip on, uh, on YouTube and it was this guy and he was talking, he was making a joke about how he's a materialist, like this world is all there is, when you die, that's the end, right? And that's a commonly expressed view in the world. I don't actually think there's that many true materialists, but anyway. Um, and so if they, for them, there isn't any hope when someone dies, right? They die and that's it. You say goodbye to them, you'll never see them again, and that's all you got. That's a hopeless kind of grief. Does that make sense? Paul says, no, I want you guys to learn to, be, to grieve for sure, but I want you to grieve in a different way. I want you to grieve like people who do have hope. And what is that hope? So that's what he's about to expound. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, two critical features of the gospel, that Jesus did die a death he didn't deserve to for your sin and for mine. Taylor Swift was right. I'm the problem. It's me. I wanted to work that in. The great theologian Taylor Smith. Jesus had to die for me and rose again. He conquered death. He beat sin. He's alive. Then, this is the logical outcome from that. We believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who've died. So here he introduces the, uh, not probably the, for the first time, but the idea of a resurrection for believers. This is a wonderful truth. Take a look at, uh, next time you're, I mean, some of you are pretty young. Maybe this isn't a problem for you, but if you're like me and you look in the mirror, 
There's reasons to hope for the resurrection. <laughs> Maybe you just get up out of a chair and you're like, oh, Lord, please let there be a resurrection. <laughs> I can't, you know, I, I sit a lot for my job and I drive a lot. And now sometimes I get out of the car and I'm like, oh, <laughs> head rush. I got to take just a second. 48's coming hard. Hope for the resurrection. So he says, now this is our hope. The reason you should grieve differently is because we believe since Jesus beat death that we're gonna beat death too. That's awesome. So now comes this part that I wanna get into. So we tell you this directly from the Lord. Paul's like, I'm gonna reveal some straight download from the Holy Spirit to you right now. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. So let's just slow down here. The Lord himself, who's that? Good job, the Sunday school answer. You can all be in my kid's class. Jesus, just say that, you're probably right. Will come down where? From heaven. He's coming down from heaven, okay. With a commanding shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who've died will rise from their graves then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be, what do you have there? What's the next thing for you? Caught up, where? In the clouds to, okay, so caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord, and where is he? In the air, very good. You're doing, you guys are Bible study students. It's really good. Just read the Bible and say what it says. And then we will be with the Lord for how long? Forever. Yes. And then verse 18, so encourage each other with these words. Or you may have a different word there. What else does it say? So comfort. Encouragement and comfort are both there. Um, so we're going we're gonna to break this section down. Um, so um, let me drop, drop, drop these in here for us. We're going to kind of move ahead to verse 17 really quickly. So we've got this idea that Jesus is coming from heaven with a shout and then he says, we who are alive and remain. I really like that Paul includes himself in that. He's kind of like expecting Jesus to come back really soon. He missed it by at least 2,000 years. But, you know, Paul was like, I'm pretty sure we're going to be here when Jesus comes back. So he's like, you know, you know how it's going to be for all of us who are alive and remain. But he uses this word, um, caught up. So this is a unique word or not, not, doesn't show up in very many places. And Marcus did a great job breaking this down in that Q&A, so I'm going to try. It's, the Greek word is harpazo, and it means to seize, to catch up, to snatch away. It's used in various places in the New Testament. Three references that are useful, I think, in understanding this word um, are Acts 8.39, where it says that Philip, if you remember this story, he's kind of got a hitchhiking ministry. He's led this eunuch to Christ, and he baptizes him on the side of the road, which I think, I always get this idea in the moderate, like we're on a highway and there's like a ditch and he baptizes the guy. And then it says the spirit of God snatches Philip away and he finds himself at Azotus, like full on Star Trek transport from one place to another. But the word there is harpazo. The spirit of God caught Philip away and he was, found himself somewhere else. So he went from one place to another in a very immediate, quick act. Does that make sense? Harpazo. Um, the next one would be in uh, 2 Corinthians 12.2, where Paul is talking about the revelations that he had in heaven. And he says, whether I was you know, in the spirit or not, I don't know, but I was caught up into heaven where I had these revelations from God. So he went from his experience on earth to an experience with the Lord in heaven, uh, a rapid change of place from here to here, snatched away. 
Does that make sense? Okay, and then the last one is in Revelation 12, five, um, where it says that in that, that uh, um, kind of panorama you have of, of, we believe, Israel's history, he says that the male child, and you can, if I'm confusing you, we can talk about it later, is caught up to the Lord. So taken from one place where he was at risk and caught up to a place of safety with God. The reason I bring those up is it's always useful when you're trying to figure out how is a, a word used in the Bible to see how it's used in other places. And so in each of those places, we see this same uh, idea that, I, that the, the people involved or the, whatever's involved is being rapidly, almost violently taken from one place to another. There's one place to another in a moment. Does that make sense? So now you bring that into this. It's like, okay, so we're caught up. That means you're gonna be like, boom, and you're out of here. So I, I think that's kind of neat to think about. Sometimes you wonder, like, this, by the way, this is where we get this idea of, of the rapture, if you've heard that word before, a word that uh, critics will say isn't in the Bible, which is true. Um, the word is harpazo, or, or um, as we translate it, caught up. The way we got rapture, by the way, is in the Latin version of the Bible. The word that's used there is uh, rapturo, or uh, there's another word it could be, I think in the Vulgate they use rapiamur, I can't pronounce it right, and then rapture is just the English transliteration. When you take a word from another language and just move it over, it's called transliterating, right? And that's where we get the word rapture. So if you're wondering, that's where it comes from. It comes mainly from this verse. So is this something that God has done at other times in biblical story? Yeah, absolutely. You can look in the Old Testament for at least two places. In Genesis chapter five, we see the story of Enoch, a man who walked with God and then was not because God took him. Now that's not the word harpazo, the Hebrew or the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, but it's that same idea of God taking someone from one place to another, just like that. Can you think of anyone else? Elijah, Elijah. yeah, exactly, yeah. So Second Kings, you have Elijah and Elisha walking along, and Elijah's like, I'm out of here, man. The Lord's told me, Elijah's like, I know. And then all of a sudden, the chariots of fire separate, uh, run between these two guys, and this whirlwind catches up Elijah, and he's, he's out of there. My yeah, that's right. So off they go. Anyway, that's, that's what's coming for us according to the Bible. Now, how this happens is, like I say, a matter of debate, but this is exactly what the text is saying, is that we're being caught up into the air. Now, here's an interesting note for those of you that care about these things, is um, since where, where does it say we meet the Lord? In the air, right? Okay, so apparently there's two different Greek words in that era that they would use for air. I didn't know this. Um, A-E-R, which sounds like air, and another one that looks kind of like ether, it's A-I-T-H-E-R would be the transliteration. So we'll call it air and ether just because I need to pronounce it like an idiot. So air would refer to, let me see if I can get this right. This is from Kenneth Weiss, so I'll read it. Um, just how close to the earth will he come? It says we're meeting him in the air. Paul, in his classic account of the rapture, says that we'll meet the Lord in the air. The Greeks have two words for air, as I just mentioned. Um, a Greek would stand on the summit of Mount Olympus which was 6,403 4, 6, feet high. And pointing downward, he would say, air. So below 6,400 feet was air. And pointing upward would say, ether. Which word did Paul use? Well, a glance at the Greek text shows us air. So if we take this literally, if Paul is in fact using a term of precision, which some might debate, but that's the language he's using here, it would mean that the Lord Jesus, when he comes for his bride, would descend to a distance at least within 6,400 feet of the surface of the earth. 
That's kind of exciting. You could be flying over in a plane and Jesus could be picking people up down below you about 20,000. That's something I thought about. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not staking my salvation to that. I just think it's really fascinating to think about. Anyway, okay. Now, as we get through to the end of this, that we're being caught up in meeting him, this is the, this is the verse that meant the most to me, verse 18. Comfort one another or encourage each other with these words. Now, the context that, that he's giving them this bit of information about the coming of the Lord and resurrection is what? What are they worried about at the beginning of 13 or so? What were they worried about? People that died. They're like, wait a minute. There's people already who are dying who are Christians. What about those guys? What's happening to them? So Paul says, I want you to encourage each other and comfort each other with the truth of the coming of Jesus when people have died. So this is the first use of that idea is that, hey, we don't have to grieve like people that have no hope. Now, let me tell you how not to do this. Don't go up to the person whose spouse just died and go, hey, man, don't worry about it. She's in a better place and Jesus is coming back. Bad timing. (laughs) Remember Jesus, when he shows up at the tomb of Lazarus, right? He's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And what is he doing? He's weeping. Yeah, there's a time, and we'll look at it when we get to Romans 2, we weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. But at the same time, there is an appropriate way and time to say, man, I'm so sorry for what you've lost, and I cannot wait until I get to be with you and them again. Won't that be great? There's a way to go about doing that. Just don't be weird. (laughs) This is not a way of minimizing grief or minimizing pain. It's just a way of providing perspective and context to that. Does that make sense? Okay, good. but I started thinking about this. Is this really the only kind of, the only context where Jesus' return would provide comfort or encouragement? What do you think? Sorry, did I make that awkward? Okay, so can you think of any other areas of life where the reality of Jesus coming back could provide comfort or encouragement to you? Okay, give me some examples. What do you got? Okay, trials, like what kind? Be very specific here if you can. You don't have to disclose your business, but Bueller. Anybody? Come on. What? Financial. Yeah, absolutely. How about this? How about this? If you are in debt, and I have been in some really deep debt in my life, so it was like, oh man, seriously, were there? Yeah, I've told you that story. I've used it too many times from the pulpit. But anyway, what if tomorrow you had an ironclad guarantee that Jesus was coming back and he was going to rapture you, catch you up out of here, and you would never have to pay another bill again. Your phone would never ring from a bill collector. Oh, well, it might ring, but you wouldn't be there to answer it. Wouldn't that be great? Would that be a comforting or encouraging reality for you? If you are, I just realized, I didn't know this, that the seniors graduated. I got to go to some of the the grad stuff, but I didn't realize some of the rest of you are still in school. Sorry. Does, you know, if you had just hypothetically put off some schoolwork that was due by the end of school, this next week might feel stressful for you. Would it be comforting or encouraging to you if Jesus were to make a promise today to say, Monday morning, don't worry about it. Rapture, you're out of here. How would that feel as a student? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, come on. I'm, I remember those days when I was in school. Um, can, can you think of anything else? What else? Dave. Yeah, when someone is getting ready to pass away, this can be comforting and encouraging to us. Amen. What else? Oh my gosh. Yeah, seeing your kids in pain. Can you offer more on that? Is there... The hard way, yeah. I, I have never been a parent. Um, my, my niece is here today, which is really great. Anyway, sorry. Um, but watching little people that I love 
hurt, even if it's like your kids at church, is hard. It's hard to see them suffer. Wouldn't it be great if you knew they were never gonna have to go back and face the bully again or that, you know, <laughs> that situation? How would you feel if tomorrow you're like, hey, Jesus was like, don't worry about it, we're out of here. Would that be encouraging or comforting? Yeah. Yes, I absolutely think it would be wrong to read verse 18 as being exclusive to uh, the, the grief that comes with death. The Bible says in Titus, actually, that this, the coming of Christ, is called the blessed hope of the believer, Titus 2.13, the blessed hope. That word blessed is a weird, it sounds so religious. No one says that. Well, actually, nowadays they do. Hashtag blessed, so weird. What, what does blessed really mean, though? Do you guys know? Happy. happy, happy. It's the happy hope of the Christian, the happy hope. Now, to jump here, people put their hope in a lot of things. Most of what we put our hopes in is pretty uh, shallow and often very shaky. Have any of you ever put your hope in something that let you down? I am a Blazer fan, so I know this so well. <laughs> I have great hopes that they'll trade the third pick and Anthony Simons for some epic player, but the odds of that happening are not good. Probably gonna be let down yet again. So I put it, probably shouldn't put too much hope in that. Here's the thing, when we're given a happy, blessed hope like this, that's sure, that's steadfast, if we will take care of it, excuse me, take hold of it, it can offer me practical encouragement and comfort right now, whatever I am facing. It may not solve that problem, but it can change the way that I perceive it and go through it. Does that make sense? Okay. Let me just give you some silly examples, maybe not silly, one's not silly, of uh, silly hope that people have. Okay, so when I was, I was thinking, I was at that graduation stuff and I'm watching these students, I'm like, oh man, this is so rad. And then I was also, don't take this the wrong way, like also realizing like, this is a big deal and it's also kind of not, right? It is a big deal at the moment, it's a big deal, no question, this is a huge accomplishment. But here's what I've never had, this, in the last several months I've had a number of significant experiences. My job as a pastor is really great and hard in this way. I've been to some memorial services for people that are very dear, right? No one at their memorial service talked about who they went to the prom with, unless they married them, or um, whether they were really like good at sports. Those things just didn't come up because they were dead. And the things that mattered were their relationships with people and those kinds of things. It, that's just not on the radar. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's just that in comparison to the totality of their life and the fact that they're now dead, those things have become very small. When I was in high school, I don't think this is even a thing anymore, we all got Letterman's jackets. Did anybody ever have a Letterman's jacket? Do they even have those anymore? Is that a thing? Do they really? I seriously haven't seen Letterman's jacket in a while, which is probably fine. Cost hundreds of dollars. Man, you saved up money to get those things. You worked hard. And when you got, we got letters for everything. It's like the lamp of learning for honor roll. I was that guy. I know, I admit it. You got your soccer patch with your number on there. And then what you'd do, you would like in a gang. You'd like strap on your Letterman's jacket when you're going somewhere with your boys. And you walk around in these Letterman's. Anyways, it was a whole thing. And it was, it was like, the, and you'd notice. You'd be like, boy, that guy's a four-year Letterman in football. Dang. That's pretty cool. Here's where, it get, here's where it gets funny, though. Well, it sounds funny now, because we don't do that. But comes time to go to college. Chris mentioned this, right? It's time to go to college. Off we go to college to, for a visitation, picking a school, wearing our Letterman's jackets. Guess how many people at college were wearing Letterman's jackets? 
<laughs> nope, you look like that idiot. You're like, bro, are you living in the past? Are you wearing your letterman's jacket at college? It was very quick before you were putting that away because it didn't matter in light of the things that were happening in that context. This thing that was so important to you that maybe you even put some hope in, all of a sudden was like, mm, it's not really that big of a deal. The key is to find a way to grab hold of hope that's actually certain, that goes into this longer-term perspective that can give you comfort and encouragement right now. Jesus' return can do that for us. Talk more about that. Give you an example of someone I think who did a, 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 an example I love of like the longer-term perspective, who looked beyond school. So I had a friend, still have a friend, named Mark Martin. Mark ran around, ran around with us. That's such an old man thing to say. We ran around with us back in the day. We're in eighth grade. We're in eighth grade. And Mark was, um, he's just a little different, smart guy, all that, um, not an athlete. And obviously we were pretty, 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 we were pretty awesome, pretty awesome athletes at our tiny little school. So Mark hung out with us. But here's the thing, Mark had invested $1,000 somehow in the stock market in 1989, 1989. We made fun of Mark for this. What kind of nerd has $1,000 in the stock market in 1989? Bro, we're playing Nintendo games. Put your money in things that matter. Where's your hope at, Mark? You're like 13 years old or whatever. What are you doing with a thousand bucks? So I did some math. I looked it up on Investopedia. The average rate of the S&P 500 return since 1957 to 2021 was, anybody know? 11.88% better than I thought. If Mark had invested his thousand dollars with no additional deposits, 44 years later, he would have today $181,000. I could put that to good use. If Mark had added $25 a month to that amount, today he would have $637,000. And if he had added $50 a month to that, Mark would have a cool $1.1 million. Who's laughing now? <laughs> we were the idiots, man. Mark had looked ahead, put his hope in something. I'm not saying we should put our hope in money, quite the opposite. But he had looked ahead, put his hope in something that would go beyond the context in which we were in. And Mark won. <laughs> Mark was smart. So we have a choice before us. We can either be Uncle Rico. Man, if coach would have put me in the game, I could throw a pigskin over those mountains, no doubt in my mind, and have this really weird, messed up perspective where we focus on things of this life that do matter. It's not that the trouble that we face isn't real. Man, it's, it's hard to even talk about that. When you start talking about relationships, suffering children, marriage, death, long-term health stuff where you're watching someone fade away, Alzheimer's, these are deeply broken places in our world. But Jesus is saying, I'm giving you something. I'm giving you something that you can hold on to as you go through that that can give you comfort and encouragement that's real, that's not a little saying isn't this precisely what Jesus tells his disciples? John chapter 14, verse one, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, what? There you may be also. Jesus responds to them when he sees them troubled to say, hey guys, guys, look ahead. I promise I'm coming back to get you. I'm making a place for you. I'm building a home for us to be together. But you gotta take hold of that. Why don't I take hold of that? Why don't I? Well, now I know there's two ways because I don't think many of you are denying. I don't think anyone here are like, I don't think Jesus is ever coming back. You probably wouldn't be in church if you didn't think that. 
but I minimize it. It becomes a doctrinal piece in my mind, right? So if you walk up to me and you say, Michael, do you believe Jesus come back? Oh yeah, for sure, check, absolutely true. And then I go right back to worrying, feeling anxious, being depressed, whatever it is, because I'm letting these other things press in and really take hold of me. So why do I let that happen? How do I take hold of that hope? Well, boy, I'm skipping a lot of things here because I promised I was gonna try really to end on time. I think that what happens for me is uh, I, I let that become small in my thinking. It's gotta occupy a bigger place in my thinking. So I'm gonna tell you a story that makes me look good and I just wanted to tell you that this is rare because most of the time this is a message for me. I get anxious about other people's problems, not just my own. But when I had finished uh, at Ecola back in, I don't know what year it was, a long time ago, 98, I was unemployed and homeless. Ah, a lot of kids are at that age, I suppose. So I moved back in with my parents and I'm trying to get a job. And this was back before you had like, you know, internet boards and stuff like that. So I'm sending out, you know, my little letters to people and I've got my degree and nobody wants me, you know, I'm sending out, you don't even get rejection letters. <laughs> I just, we just round filed that right away, buddy, you know? And I'm just like, oh, I'm gonna be unemployed forever. I'm never gonna, you know, total despair. And at that time, having just come out of Bible school where I'd spent tons of time reading God's word and it really taken time to mark my Bible and find verses to memorize. It was just in me, right? I would go through this cycle where I would start usually early trying to find a job, not find anything, <laughs> get no letters in the mail, go into the pit of despair, and then grab my Bible and start praying. And almost always, almost always, I would wind back up and Lord, you're coming back. Oh, someday you're gonna come and I'm, you know, even if this didn't ever get a job, I, I, I'm gonna have a place with you. You've got, you're preparing a place for me. Lord, I'm gonna be like you, the Bible says when I see you. Lord, there's gonna be no more trouble in the world. And I would literally pray through that process and find myself encouraged, comforted, built up in a very practical way. It meant it was real, it was experiential, it wasn't just doctrinal. But I had to make space in my thinking. I had to meditate on that. Does that make sense? I think this is something we need to do. Think on these things. Paul writes, the Colossians in chapter three, he says, if you have, since, since you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, set your mind on things above. Set your mind. There's a movement of our brain. Guys, can I encourage you and myself, would you this week make time for this? Find some of these verses. I, there's plenty more that talk about the return of Christ. Put them on your dashboard, slap them on your mirror. I knew one guy who put them in plastic bags and stacked them up in his shower, whatever. Uh, must take long showers. Think on these things. Take time to pray through. Lord, I know you're coming back and this situation, run it through. The debt, the health things, the broken relationships, the people who've wronged you, the people you've wronged, the, the war in the world, the injustice, the victimization, all those things and say, Lord, yet I know this, you're coming back and you're going to set things right. Now, two questions arise. One is, if God is going to set things right, Michael, why hasn't he come back yet? And you know, I really, really wish he would too. Wish he'd come back. I wanna see this. I wanna see peace on earth. I could read you a whole host of verses I wrote down that I'm not gonna have time to read about people beating their weapons into uh, agricultural tools about the nations never going to war again, about true peace on earth, about Jesus doing what's right for victims of oppression. But that is what's coming. I would like that today. Would you? Why has he not come back? 
Second Peter says a number of things. One is that a, a, a mark of the last days is that people are gonna come with their mocking. They're gonna start saying, where's the promise of this coming? Everything's continuing just the way it's always been. You people who are waiting for Jesus. But T- Peter says, man, the reason he hasn't come is that he's patient toward you. He's willing that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Remember what we learned from Taylor Swift, I'm the problem, it's me. That's true in the world today. If Jesus were to come today, there are people you and I know who would not go with him, who wouldn't be caught up in the air to meet him, that would be facing eternal judgment. And Jesus doesn't want that. He wants to rescue as many people as possible. And so he's waiting. He's waiting for more people to come in. So while you and I are suffering and waiting, remember that he's not wasting that. Someone prayed that earlier today. I can't remember who it was. Uh, Matt, you're not wasting anything. He's waiting and wanting to bring people in. Number two, some people say, isn't all this rather impractical, Michael? What sort of Christian would you really be in the world if you just focused on the Lord's return? Well, to that, I return, I would have you argue with C.S. Lewis. He's dead, so you can't really fight him too hard, but here's his quote. I love this. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next world. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the greater Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of that other world that they've become so ineffective in this. What if we've got it wrong? What if it's not about being more mindful of these things that will make us effective, but actually realizing that he's coming back? And once we have that optimism and recognize that the victory is coming, it would give us courage to move out and make a difference in the world in which we live. It's not impractical. It's very practical. So I'm going to wrap up here because I promised I would. The good news is this. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to set everything right. There's a happy ending. You guys, there's a happy ending for you and for me. Your relationships that are broken and strained, you got a spouse who's a believer, they're not treating you well, you've hurt them, whatever. I'm telling you this, there's a day coming when you're gonna stand before Jesus, worshiping him with them, and it's gonna be right. You're gonna love each other. It's gonna be peaceful. There's not gonna be any awkwardness or, or hidden unforgiveness or bitterness. You're gonna stand before people who were your enemies in this life, potentially, at some point, right? Worshiping the king of kings. Jesus says in Revelation that he's wiping every tear from their eyes. You who have borne grief that I cannot know will find peace and real comfort. That is not a cheap promise. It's one made by Jesus, bought with his own blood. You who have faced deep hurt from health stuff, with yourself and other people and watch others go through that, man, I'm telling you, Jesus is going to bring total healing to the world. The environment's gonna be set right. I've got verses in here about lambs and uh, wolves lying down together, kids playing with cobras. It's gonna be awesome. This is coming. Guys, if we can meditate on that, if we can take that in and say, let that be that place of where we're really living for, where we've set our hope, he can give to us from that comfort and encouragement a way to go through this life in a totally different way. Allow me one quote from um, another author that I love, a C.S. Lewis friend, J.R. Tolkien, um, in The Return of the King. 
if, you, if you're a nerd like me and you like the return of the king, and you should, uh, there's a scene at the very end after the, the uh, cataclysm has happened and all this, and Sam, who's this wonderful sort of everyman character, loyal to the end, wakes up, and he's in a place of safety and healing at that point. He wakes up, and everything that's happened seems so dramatic. He feels like it's a dream, and it says, Sam lay back, stared with open mouth, and for a moment, between bewilderment and great joy, he couldn't answer. At last, he gasped. Here's the line of love. Gandalf, I thought you were dead. Then I thought I was dead myself. Here's the line. Is everything sad? Is everything sad going to come untrue? Well, Tolkien's story is is a fiction, but the story that our Lord has written for us is true. Everything sad is going to come untrue. I would feel like a moron telling you that if we didn't have these verses. These precious words of the Lord. Guys, comfort each other with these words. Comfort yourselves with these words. Encourage each other. Jesus is coming. So worship stream is coming back up, and uh, there'll be people around the room to pray. I'll just encourage you right now. You guys go ahead and stand. I think, is the worship stream coming up? Did I get that right? Okay. If you've got something that you're carrying around with you, and I pff, we probably all do, you don't have to carry that by yourself. The Bible says we can bear each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. And if you need somebody to just pray with you on these things, say, listen, I'm carrying this. I want to experience that courage. Thanks, man. Um, That courage and comfort that can come from Christ. I want that. Man, go find somebody and pray with them about it. It's not weird. It's a really cool thing to be able to share the weight of those with each other as believers. And man, then ask the Lord this week to give you those reminders. Make space to spend time thinking about that and believing and trusting it for yourself because he loves you. This is not a, a, a work you're gonna do. He's not gonna care about you more. You're gonna be a better Christian or some nonsense. This is a, a loving father saying, oh, I wanna take care of you. Would, you. would you grab hold of this hope that I've given you? Let's pray. Jesus, I, it's easy to say this stuff. It's hard to do it. Uh, so I pray for this. I ask, you said you'd send your Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to do that very work of encouragement and comfort. And I pray that you would send him now to each of us that need it to remind us of the things that you've taught the things that are true, things that we can take hold of, Lord, and that we would be able to move through the same garbage of life as the world faces, but not without hope. I ask this in Jesus' name for your glory in our lives. Amen. This principle that Michael shared with us just on the expectancy or or really looking forward to the Lord's return is so important to have as a a follower of Jesus Christ because um, Paul tells us, or not Paul, but some people think it's Paul, but the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12, starting verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what I like about that passage is it basically tells us what the finish line is for the believer, right? The finish line is Jesus. Jesus' return is the finish line for you and me that have placed our faith in Jesus. And this took on a whole new meaning, this verse, when I actually ran an endurance race, when I ran a marathon, because I really started to see how, oh, I get it. 
you know, because an endurance race is a lot like life because when you run an endurance race, you have what are called runner's highs and lows. You guys that have been distance runners, you know what I'm talking about. doesn't matter whatever the distance is, but you'll go through these, these times where it feels really, really hard to run. Like you, you can't keep going. And then maybe a short time later, you'll have a high where you just like, things are good. Everything feels awesome. Like you could just go forever. And it's, it's like that over and over again. But what keeps you going through those hard times is knowing that there are good times coming and knowing that there is a finish that you're, you're running towards. Uh, there's going to be an end. And I tell you, when I ran uh, a marathon, when I saw that mile 25, I ran that last mile faster than any of the 25, even the previous miles, even though it was at the very end, because I'm like, the finish was in sight. And I think that's why Paul you know, had this mentality of like, those of us that are still alive, like we're gonna see the Lord. Like he had this mentality, any second, Jesus is coming back. And it's so important. You see that theme through the whole entire New Testament that that's the way we're to live our lives. Any second, Jesus is coming back because every day of your life involves going through runner highs and runner lows, right? I'm, I'm coming back for runner's high because I, I just got away for a couple of days with my wife to celebrate our 23rd anniversary. So I'm, I'm coming in here feeling pretty high. But the reality is there's definitely tough times ahead in our marriage. There's tough times ahead in raising our kids. There's good times in raising our kids. There's tough times to raise our kids. There's tough times in the job that you're working. There's good times in the job you're working. That's just life, right? You have highs and you have lows. But what will keep you going is knowing what in those, especially in those hard times, whatever, however hard it might be, it isn't going to last forever. There is a finish. And the great thing about knowing God is that, yes, we're running towards the end to be with him face to face, where, as it says there in First Thessalonians, we'll never leave aside again. But you don't have to wait to get there to experience him in your life. The moment you place your faith in him, his spirit comes in inside of you and you have him to run that race with you, to give you strength when you feel weak, to give you guidance when you don't know which direction to take. That's why it says here in Hebrews 12, just focus on him. Cast aside those things that are weighing you down, those sins in your life that are tripping you up. Throw those things aside and look to him. Keep your eyes on him right through this life right to the finish. Amen. And I can't help that. That word was really burning in my heart. Like that's a word for some of you guys. You're at that place where you feel like you just can't go on. It's just hard. And the Lord's here to remind you, you can go on. He's given you a reason to go on. He's here to help you now, but you just need to get your focus back on knowing it's not going to last forever. He's going to get you through it just like he's gotten you through everything else. And one day there is going to be no more heart. There is going to be no more sadness. There is going to be no more difficulty. And that's what we're running toward, right? And so I just encourage you to respond. Maybe for you in here today that somebody invited you and you don't have that finish line because you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Today is the day that you place your faith in him. You repent of your sin, which is 
turning, you're going in the opposite direction of God and you turn towards him and you acknowledge that you need him to save you from your sin. You need him to be Lord of your life and lead you in life to be that one that you're running with. So you can leave here with a finish line in sight and with God to help you get there. Don't leave here without responding to the Holy Spirit as God is drawing you to himself and telling you, I'm here to help. Get your focus on me. If that involves going up and praying with somebody, pray with them. Maybe praying with your neighbor, maybe just talking to God right where you're at, but don't miss out on this chance for what God wants to do in you right now. So we're gonna sing another song and give you a chance to respond to however God is leading you to. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you so much for giving us this finish line. Lord, I know there's days where I don't know how I would go on if I didn't have this great hope. And we're so thankful that the hope you've given us is not like a a wishy-washy hope in the world where we can't be absolutely certain. It's not positive thinking. Positive thinking isn't a replacement for you and your word. It's a reaction to you and your word. You've given us every reason to be positive because you've made these promises that you will surely keep. And this truth that one day, everything that we is so hard and dreadful in this world will end when we're with you. And we know that the short time we're here, because really it is, it's, 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 a, it's a, a momentary light affliction, as your word says, compared to the eternal weight of glory. It's just a fraction of time compared to eternity that we'll spend with you in what we can only describe as perfection, where there is no pain, there is no sorrow, there's no injustice, there's no sickness. All the things that are in this world as a result of sin, they will be gone forever. And so Lord, we're so thankful you're with us now to help us in this race. May we just keep our focus on you and keep running, empowered by your spirit, not in our own strength keeping our focus as it says here in Hebrews 12 on the author and finisher, the reason for our faith and the one that we're still placing our faith in to get us right to the end. Meet everyone here right now, especially those, Lord, that need this reminder today. In Jesus' name, amen.